Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Hey y'all, sit down. Be seated. Y'all are so sweet. I love you. I love you. I'm so glad to be here. You have no idea how much I love Awaken. The whole ministry effort by such wonderful leadership as you have. We, I, I picked up on the same words of that song, Pastor, what hell intended for evil. God uses for good. I like to illustrate it that he, the devil took a stick on the bank of that river in Vietnam on the border with Cambodia deep in the jungle, and he beat me severely around the head and shoulders. But he made a fatal error. He threw the stick down and walked off laughing. I picked up the stick that he beat me with. And I'm beating him all over the face of the earth with the same stick. <laughs> yes, indeed. Get a stick and hit the devil. But it wasn't my idea. I got it from Jesus. The devil took two sticks on him, and he beat the devil uh, with the same stick. Amen. Hey, I got my girl with me. Uh, for 33 years, my associate evangelist was a woman. She and her husband had traveled with me and my wife. And so, you know, my wife left me for another man. His name was Jesus, and he took her to heaven and I, without my permission. Uh, but I forgave him. <laughs> That's a funny thought. I had to forgive Jesus. But um, since that young lady and her husband, after 33 years, I wanted to set them up in their own ministry. So, 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 you know, when my sunset comes, she wouldn't be hung out to dry. Well, I miss her and her husband so much, but I didn't have my singer. For, for nine years, almost 10, I worked with Dr. Billy Graham, and I spoke in all the big crusades for that decade on Monday night, youth and military night, both here and in Europe. And we shared board members for 20 years, and I learned a lesson from him. One was compassion leads to conversion, which is simply to say, if you don't weep over city, you'll never win that city. If you don't weep over the call that God gave you, you'll never succeed in that call. And the other lesson I learned was, have your own music. Not that the music you go to is not good. That's not the point. When you have your own music, you set the stage for your own comfort level of something you're used to. You know, I'm not, wherever I go, I'm not used to that because every place is different. So all through my career, I've had my own singing groups or individual. Well, then I knew this girl. <laughs> she was two weeks old and she went into full-time ministry. And believe me, when she sang, everybody in church heard it. <laughs> it's like the story of the little boy. His mom would take him out to spank him for cutting up in church. She just had him like this, his head hanging out the back, and she's headed for the back door. He screams out, pray church, she's going to kill me. <laughs> Well, this kid grew up in church, and uh, she married one of, my, one of my associate speakers that I had trained, and so they went off on their own ministry. Well, uh, today he is captain of the fire department in Pueblo, Colorado. She's a real estate agent. I said, Kim, I need you. And he's going on the road with me and be my singer. Couldn't have had a better choice in all my career. She sang the other day uh, for Jimmy Swaggart. We were there in ministry, and that's a huge audience there and she got through there throwing their hat in the air they loved her 
And I realized that anointing that's been in our family from day one is still there. And if you raise your children in the household of faith, that anointing will follow them all their lives. You will. Raise your babies in church. Mama, don't let your children grow up to be sinners. <laughs> now you see why I have a singer. <laughs> Kimmy, greet the folks to sing for us, darling. Oh, here you go. There it is. Hey. Got it. <laughs> well, good morning. We get an
So let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I Every doubt and every fear Though Kimmy. <laughs> oh, thank you, darling. Well, now's a good time to tell you she has an album. <laughs> she does this back there. Uh, I asked her to produce an album, and she put it together very quickly. It's got songs like uh, I Want to Know What Love Is by Foreigner. I said Journey, I think, first time. <laughs> it's Foreigner. My favorite song of all time, by the way. Uh, I'm an old-time rock and roller. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. But, uh, Songs like that and Rescue. Also on that album is a song that my wife and I used to sing together when we start out in ministry. It's called Heaven Sound is Sweeter All the Time, Country Gospel. Well, it's Kimmy and her daughters, and I did the retake of that. And it's just beautiful. I think you'll enjoy her album. Be sure and pick one up. She always appreciates it when you pay for it. <laughs> uh, also, her ministry, she and her husband are in charge of our ministry to our first responders, a huge ministry. Uh, firemen and law enforcement come by the droves to our ranches, and they're in charge of the healing of these broken vessels. And I mean, it's a big, big ministry. Look at that. Isn't that a beautiful flag? And uh, 
We, we brought some. You're welcome to pick one up and fly them with pride for what God has done through our law enforcement and our military and our firemen and first responders because without them, it'd be a terribly cruel world. It's bad enough as it is. God bless our first responders. Our, God bless our patrolmen. Our, yes, our officers, our firemen. Amen. Uh, and then, but let me tell you what I'm going to share with you on these these products. I take no royalties. I don't take any. None of the money comes to me at all. So if I mention these things, don't think it's in personal gain. These products totally pay round trip airfare, all the food, all the housing, all the training for our warriors. They've never paid a dime to come through our program. Thousands of them at our expense at two thousand per warrior. We cover everything because of products like these. So thanks for letting me mention it. I just don't want you to think it's greed or self-gain. It's not. The only thing I gain is weight. <laughs> Boy, am I good at that. A brand new book and companion book for uh, uh, the little one. I can't say the word. I can't say the word devotion without help. I, it's a mental block. And uh, I have other words that don't come up to me. Uh, they lost it somewhere in Vietnam. You know, my face was blown off my ears over there somewhere. People say, why do you go to Vietnam? I'm looking for my ear. <laughs> One I got's plastic. It falls off when I'm preaching. It did in Jamaica. I stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. It was really good. <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm trying to sell you a book. But the devotional is a companion book to Forged in Fire. <clears throat> and that book was just came out. You're, I think you're the fifth place I've taken it to. Brand new. And the co-author, the guy that did all my histor uh, history corrections and time, place, and dates to make sure it's perfectly accurate, was Stan Corvin. He told me as we were writing this, he said, Dave, this will be the last book I ever work on. He said, I'm going to die when this is over. I said, stop that. This book's supposed to give life, not take. He said, it'll be the end. We finished the book and he died. He said, the Lord showed me this would be the last book I would do and that it would be the most important work. So in all of my presentations to him and him helped me organize everything, get it all exactly right, God gave me a friend that would, he was a Vietnam veteran, shot down five times in the helicopter and survived all of them. And then gave his life at the end for a cause that he believed in. It's a, it, they're great books. I hope you'll pick them up. I don't mean to talk so much about them, but that's what, and then a book called a War and Recovery, which was an effort on my part to take the tragedies from the battlefield and apply them, quote-unquote, to the mission field. Taking a tragedy turned into triumph. The very thing you sang about, what hell tried to do, God said, I'll show you what I'll do with it. And that's, what they, that's our stick to hit the devil. Uh, and then a book called Scarred, which is autobiography, and it will give you the details of my personal experience. And it's quite an amazing book. It's a historical record of just one guy. I trained right here at NAB, Naval Amphibious Base. I was trained by the commander of SEAL Team 1 and was a brown water, black beret. You know, there's three units that train out there with the Navy, the special dive vehicle teams, the uh, special boat teams now, brown water, black beret is what we used to be called, and SEAL teams. And uh, I was assigned to SEAL Team 1 in Vietnam, and that book will reflect a lot of the work we did in the jungle rivers and canals at great risk. We had the highest killed in action per capita, but you can't prove it because when your body goes down with the little boats made of fiberglass, they didn't, they didn't last long. They don't recover the body. You're MIA, missing in action, even though they know you're dead. And that's corrected many, many years later. But 
Uh, more about that in a moment. And then finally, the most unique book I've ever done in my life, a message I preached for over 50 years called Magic Fountain. And I put it into a hardback edition. And all the graphics are hand-drawn. Not one graphic in that book is done by computer generation. Everything is hand-drawn. It's a family heirloom in the end. It's really an amazing analogy. I wrote it in the C.S. Lewis style of presentation. Hewlett's story of three old hags. Their names are hag number one, hag number two, and hag number three. I thought I'd share that with you. I couldn't remember the third one, hag number three, what I think was her name. Come on, that was funny. I don't care who you are. You'll love the book because at the end of it, you find out which hag are you. Oh, that's a great book. Thanks, Kimmy, for your help, darling. And I think you'll enjoy all the books. So now you know you can use your credit card or your neighbor's card if you found it, finders keepers. That's a bad joke. But in the book of Psalms is a scripture in the 84th Psalm that I love to refer to, verses 5, 6, and 7 of the 84th Psalm. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways better known to us as highways to heaven. And they passed through a valley called Baca. And in the first service, I didn't take time to develop the thought because I had more, it's more constrained knowing y'all were coming. A bunch of losers sleeping in like that on Sunday. Shame on But uh, that word, baka, means weeping or sorrow. So let, let me translate this for you into modern English, right? Blessed is the man whose strength is in God. We all figure that out. But in the heart, it's a highway, not a straight and narrow. And, you know, to the world, we're straight and narrow. Oh, y'all don't have any fun. No sex, no drugs, no alcohol. You don't smoke, you don't chew, and you don't go with girls that do. Well... It's not that straight and narrow. We have a lot of fun being a Christian. In the heart, it's a highway to heaven, not straight and narrow. See, to the believer, the world is the narrow-minded. They look down a soda straw with both eyes, for heaven's sake, and they think we're narrow-minded. They have a lot of fun until the night is over, and they're worshiping the porcelain god called Toilet, bow down and throwing up their guts. The fun's over, Beva. The fun's over, isn't it? But with Jesus, it's just getting started. These are good times, man. So I'm glad I know the Lord. So, but we pass through a valley called weeping. That's what Baca means, sorrow, great sorrow and weeping. You don't have to go far. You guys built a church right in the middle of the weeping of El Cajon, the brokenness. And you have changed an entire community. You have transformed this city. And you're just getting started. And the point is, you're passing through a valley, but the Bible says dig a well. Make it a place of springs, is, I think is a revised version. So you dig a well. Sometimes you don't get to drink from the water of the well you dig, but the rain comes and fills the pool. Somebody coming along behind you gets to drink from the water in the valley of brokenness and sorrow. In other words, we are supposed to leave the world a better place than we're in. When we consider others more valuable than ourselves. I hope you're listening because the gospel is not, not all about me, 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 me. It's about others. The Bible even teaches us, consider others' needs greater than your own. Think about what I'm saying. And I hope today as I share my experience with you that you'll pick up on what others have meant to me. Because I, I, the problem with the self-made man is, you know what the problem with the self-made man is? He worships his creator. It's called humanism. When you worship yourself, you created yourself, so you're your own God. And if, the, if, if there's nothing greater than the sum total of Dave Reaver, that's a pretty big stinging disappointment, buddy. 
You know, I have to sit down to talk. I had a bad jump out of a helicopter in 2010 in Iraq, and I broke six vertebrae. They put in 12 screws and two rods. I'm an inch taller, and, and I'm no better looking. <laughs> if that would help, I would have jumped three or four times. Probably take a dozen times to help me. But the fact is, I'm a broken man, and I live in a world of broken people. And when I can give water to someone that's broken or hurting or thirsty and dying, I've made the world a better place. And I can look back over the years of people that have made a difference in my life, and I remember them by name. I don't ever forget my well diggers. They dug a well, and even though they never got to drink from the well, the rain filled the pools. And then the Bible says they, speaking of well diggers, go from strength to strength until everyone of them in Zion appears before God. The well diggers never run out of water. Think about what I'm saying. I'll never run out of water because I'm a well digger. Think, hey, I had a well digger come to my place where I live today. I built my house in 1976. Just a, I live in an 1,800-square-foot home out in the country. That's all I ever care for. I don't need another house. And my wife and I built it together, actually. Put a hammer in my hand because it's crippled, and I squeezed the Elmer glue in until it came out, and I drove blow dry until it froze in there. And then I'd hammer, and at night I put socks all over the because I wouldn't want to hurt Brenda. And I'd sleep with socks on the hammer. By Friday, it'd break loose. And then Saturday, I was peeling all the glue off. Sunday, I was preaching. Monday, I was squeezing the Elmer glue back in. And that's how I built my house. That's how it's got true. I live in that house today. Did a pretty good job. I couldn't get fit between the rafters. I was too fat. But Brenda did. She put in all the insulation. Up there. We built that house together. And I, I still live in that, that little house because to me, that's my security. That's my cocoon. That's something we did together. And I'll, if I had a place to pass, I'd like to die in that house. But I don't know. The way things are looking, I may never die. We may all go up together the way it's looking. Amen. Let's do that. But uh, all through my career, the doctors called Brenda the, their best scab picker. Because when they gave up, they couldn't dig out the damaged flesh that was blasted into my body. She never quit. They would bring me out of surgery. They did all they could, and they'd just turn her over, turn me over to Brenda. And for hours and hours, she'd pick getting that flesh that was blasted in so deep. And phosphorus, you military people know what white phosphorus, Willie P. That's what I was hit by. 5,000 degrees white hot Fahrenheit, hot, hot chemical. And I was not supposed to be alive. I had a grenade right here, just throwing it, and a sniper pulled the trigger on me. Shooting at my head, he missed, hit my hand, blew the grenade right there. And for the military, they know what I'm talking about. Everything not covered was bone. But it blew it off, burned it off. 60 pounds of flesh went up in smoke in seconds. I weighed 190 that morning. That afternoon, I weighed 130. Not that I was standing on scales, but they weighed me in the bed, and then they did subtract the weight of the bed. And So I'm not supposed to be here, but I've been in the Valley of Sorrow. I've lived there. I've been a resident there. My name was on the citizenship. I, believe me, folks, I'm not talking about something I don't know what I'm talking about. It's quite unfortunate that I do know what I'm talking about in this case. I wish I could say I've never had a bad day. Well, I, I guess I can. I've never had a, I've had difficult, awkward, painful. You get the, uh, the uh, object, anyway, you get the word, and I'll come up with a solution except for one thing. I've never had a bad day. The adjectives can be all negative except for one bad, because all things work together for Thank you. Thank you. It all works out. Now, at the moment, it may not look like it, but give God time. He loves his schedule better than I do. 
me and Lazarus both could have used a little help a little sooner. But I'll get to some of that thought about why did God not stop this from happening? We'll get to that. Uh, and again, Pastor, I, I hope I can keep better timing this time. Y'all are so patient. Gosh, I love you guys. I wish I lived here. I'd go to this church. I really would. I, and if you think I'm kissing up, you have no idea. The church is like, some of them I go to are so dead, I feel like I'm preaching in a cemetery. Really. Uh, first mortuary. Oh, Lord. And they get up to say, y'all pray for us while we try to sing. Well, they start singing. I start praying. It's really bad. I mean, oh, Lord, kill them or kill me. Somebody's got to die here. I can't take any more of this. Then I come to places like this where excellence is not only expected, it is delivered. And I thank you, Pastor. I thank you, guys. So uh, every year I get to come to, a, to an awakened church, and uh, I, I just tell your hubby I love you, Mike. That means I love you in sign language, but my thumb got blown off, so I speak sign language with a lisp. <laughs> I love you. I willy willy do. Anyway, back to the scripture so we can be serious about something this morning. Passing through that valley weeping, we dig a well. I drink from that water. I remember my well diggers. And I hope today that I can dig a well in your valley. Some of you are hurting. Some of you are suicidal. You have thoughts that enter your mind on a regular daily basis. What would it be like if you didn't exist anymore? And how can you make that happen? Let me tell you something. You don't want to take your life. You don't want to do that. I've been there. I know the feeling. I, I just tell you, suicide's not the solution. Jesus is still the answer, and I'll prove that for him over with. You'll see. Well, I ended up that uh, I, got, I was a Bible college student, and I got drafted because my grades were so bad. I'm a Bible college. I'm fucking out of Bible college. Lord help me. I'm a preacher's kid. I knew more about the Bible than most of my professors, but I didn't care. I was working at General Dynamics. I was building the F-111 fighter bomber. I made more money than the college president. That's truth. And I'm a freshman. So it kind of destroyed my yearning for development of my mind and knowledge. When my college president didn't make as much money as I did. And my priorities were so out of kilt. And I was making money and I'm taking care of my little wife. Paid my school bill off in 30 days, my friend. Big money. I was working holidays and getting triple pay for holidays. Making money. And I got this little notice to go take a physical. I got this rich uncle. His name is Sam. <laughs> he said, I'll pay all the bills. You just come. <laughs> So I, the only exam I passed that whole semester was my blood test, and I got no plus. <laughs> oh, come on. You got that. <laughs> Some of you cracked a smile. I got you. I got a few of you. And so uh, they told me I was going to be inducted in, uh, in the Army, and I went out and joined the Navy so I wouldn't get hurt serving in the military. <laughs> I got up one morning and had a bad decade. Yeah. I ended up in the Navy right here at NAB, and I mentioned that earlier, but it's important for you to know that I'm, I'm familiar with this community. They still call me back when they get a new boat out there that's a pretty high-speed boat. They don't have coxswain. They don't have wheels anymore. We call it steering wheel. They got joystick, which is a lot of fun. Back to reality now. On July the 26th, 1969, yes, I know some of you think that's right after the War of 1812. Youth is wasted on the young. 
I'm 76 years old, going on 50, and feel good about life. Even though I can walk well, I'm still very active. They send me to Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Bosnia, Kosovo, North Africa, South Korea, China, Japan, Okinawa, Vietnam. I just came back to Vietnam. I was there for 10 days and came to here. But I'm over the jet lag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. And... Uh, they, they, but they sent me because I contract with the Department of Defense as a resiliency trainer in the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program for all branches of the military. So I'm very active and travel all the time, all over the world. And I love my job because I'm working with people I love the most, my military friends, trying to give back something that was given to me, a drink of water from the well. That's what I'm doing. And I, there's nothing I've ever done in my life that means more to me than to be able to walk up to some guy that's going through the darkest time of his life, lost his wife, lost his integrity, lost his future, feels like there's nothing to live for, not only bringing through a dark time, but introducing him to Jesus to see his life transformed. He gets his wife back, gets his children back. <laughs> he gets his truck back, gets his dog back. <laughs> Sounds like backmasking of a country song, doesn't it? So... God had a plan for my life, but it had to develop. And whenever I asked her to marry me, she she was 13. And she slapped me. And she said, I'm only 13. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. And she slapped me again. Her dad said I couldn't marry her until she graduated. His name was Smith N. Wesson. <laughs> Ooh, he, he's, he's a rough guy. He, so I listened to him. And she graduated a few days later. We got married. And I'm standing at the, at the gate to get on the airplane at Love Field in Dallas, Texas, to go to Vietnam. And she said, Davey, are you coming back? Boy, that hit. And I just blurted out, I'll be back without a scar. Why? I could have just said, I'll be back. <laughs> then I could be your governor. <laughs> you got to think about that, but I think it's funny. You could use one right now, I'll tell you that. Uh. Oh. So I, I knew when I said it, I made a promise I couldn't keep because we had, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned earlier, we had the highest KIA because they didn't retrieve. They don't retrieve the body. You're not KIA, you're MIA until they get your body. And I walked away wondering what would happen if that was the last time I ever kissed her. And to this day, I can still taste the salt of her tears on my lips. And I miss her. I want her back. But it didn't work that way. And I'm okay. I'm allergic to your carpet. (laughs) You got me in the first service. Do y'all do something about this carpet? It's in the same building that's in the other awakened church. Y'all are killing me. Oh, Lord. And... uh, I, I lasted eight months, and I was injured twice, three days apart. And first injury was relatively minor. Most people would have gotten off the river or off the, what they call now outside the wire. I wouldn't have gone outside the wire again probably for 30 days, but there was no one to replace me. Three days later, I'm back with a patch over my eye, and my mouth is stitched up where a piece of shrapnel went through my cheek, and I'm back on the river three days later. At the same exact place that I took that hit, three days later, I was hit by the sniper, and my life would change forever. I couldn't get over the second hit. I've had 62 operations, 
since that day I was in the hospital a year and two months. If I could turn the clock back, people said, you'd do it again, wouldn't you? I said, you know, the grenade blew beside my head, but you got the brain damage. <laughs> do it again. Are you crazy? Do it again. Are you out of your mind? Woo. If I known it was going to hurt this much, I wasn't done it the first time. <laughs> but the key words are, if I had known. See, we don't know. I don't know tomorrow. I never dreamed I could ever be hurt worse than a grenade blowing beside my head until they told me. You better check on your wife now. The last thing she said to me was, oh, Davey, I love you so much. I'd heard that once before. When I came to out of a coma, she said, oh, Davey, I love you so much. Welcome home, she said. Well, the welcome home is yet to come, but it's coming. And I'm good with that. I just wish he'd have checked with me before he took her. I had to forgive Jesus. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Sometimes we have to forgive God. Actually, if we substitute the word forgive for trust, sometimes we have to trust God. It makes it a lot easier to forgive. So I kissed her goodbye and went to war, and then the second hit would be so violent that they had to fly in a helicopter and pick me up. They thought I was dead. I jumped off the little riverboat made of fiberglass, and I ended up in the water, but I was still burning because asking military here, phosphorus burns in water. You can't extinguish it. It has to burn itself out. The byproduct of burning phosphorus is oxygen. Then it consumes the oxygen. That it's its byproduct until the, until the mass of, of the fuel, we call it, the supply, is burned up. Then it goes out. Like striking a match and sticking water still burns until that phosphorus is burned up. Then the wood dies because it doesn't, it doesn't supply oxygen to itself. So you get the message. I'm on fire in the water. My skin's all around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> now that right there is hilarious. I need to pull myself together. Oh, thank you for laughing because sometimes it gets a little too serious. And some say, here's brain damage. I do not have Dane Bramage. <laughs> Helicopter picked me up. They rolled me on the stretcher. I was still burning. Stretcher caught fire, ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? <laughs> they rolled me up in wet blankets, got me on another stretcher in the helicopter. Way we go, and the medic is filling out my death report. They were ecstatic. They had a KIA and a body to prove it. Well, I'm glad they were happy because it didn't impress me. And the shock wore off in that helicopter. Up from the explosion till swimming across the river laying there, falling over backwards when I saw the damage and blood squirting out and I could see my heart beating. I was overwhelmed. Never once felt pain until in the helicopter, the shock wore off and boy, when it hit, it went from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, tips of my fingers. Then it came back and start over again. Then it come back and start over again. It was waves of inexplicable pain. I thought it would never get worse than this, but it did. And when that pain hit, I screamed out, medic, and I could barely get words out because a hole burned through my chest. I was breathing through a hole in my throat, but enough squeaked out through my swollen tongue because I had a mouthful of fire. And I got, he squeaked out, medic. he thought the dead came to life. He jumped, papers went out the door, so they were both open as July's hot. He thought the dead came to life. Pilot lost control, were dropping like a rock, and I thought, oh Lord, we're going to crash and I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> this was not my day to die. 
They got me to Japan, not on the helicopter. They got me to uh, Tonsonut, they call it. And then there they did emergency preparations and got me to Japan. They didn't want me dying in country. If you don't die in country, you're not KIA. You're, you're actually out of country. And it's a long story. Walter Cronkite had a death count going every day, if you remember. Some of you old enough to remember. Uh, he was trying to affect the outcome of the war by constantly reminding people how many were killed. And he had a strong impact. Good, bad, or ugly. In my case, very bad because they didn't want me to die in Vietnam. They wanted me to die in Japan. And I asked for a mirror, and they brought it. And I looked up with my good eye, and I saw what was left. Everything not covered was blown off to the bone. If it's covered, it was second degree from my clothing, and it swelled. It grew back. It granulation, they call it. There were enough. There was enough cell tissues of skin that it actually grew back. But over here, there was nothing left. No skin to grow. All the skin of my body, where I was burned, came off my legs. They had another place they said could match my face better, and I said, eh, you ain't doing that. <laughs> People wouldn't know if I was coming or going. <laughs> I had a, I, in my life, I've never had a tattoo. I've never had one, except once. And uh, whenever you're burned, you get, what, third degree, they give you animal skin called hemograft, human skin called homograft, and then your own skin called autograft. Well, the hemograft, is donated skin. I've donated my body to the hospital that saved my life. And so they get everything, and then what's left, they bury above Brenda so I can still be her covering, even in death. It's my last romantic act. Till I see her in heaven, then I get to give her that salty tear back. Whew. I'm okay. Sorry. <clears throat> but, uh, this guy was a sailor, and he gave me his skin, and he had a tattoo, <laughs> big, big ship, and I was always pulling tricks on my doctors, and I'd play dead sometimes. That scared them. <laughs> it was really good. Then they'd get me with something. Well, they got me. They took his ship and put it on my face when I, during surgery for because your, your body won't grow it, it's, but your body thinks it's your skin because it's closer to DNA than a pig skin. So I went from being a football to being some guy, you know, that you have to think about that one too. Pig skin and stitches, anyway. They put that ship on my face. And I woke up and they held up mirror and said, look here. I said, I'm ship-faced. <laughs> I mean, I'm right, I won't, I won't say it again. And I hope you're getting the message. If you hadn't figured it out, you know what I just did? I took a story of great pain and sorrow, and we're laughing our heads off. We're drinking from the water of hope and health and happiness. Mary Hart does better than medicine. <sighs> hey, guys, this isn't a joke. This is, this is the Christian walk. The devil takes his best shot, and we're still here because no weapon formed against us can prosper. Greater is he that's in us and he that's in the world. So what the, her hand grenade blew off, I'm, I laughed the rest of my head off. Uh, but I've had so much fun living the life God let me live. And Brent and I had so much fun together. We never, ever, once ever had an argument that led to talk of divorce. She never once, we never used the D word. She used M as in murder, but never, <laughs> <laughs> never D as in divorce. She said, God's going to kill you for that one. But we had so much fun together.
because Jesus is the well. He's the water. When we dig and we hit water, we're talking about Jesus and the world of brokenness. And after COVID and all, some of you lost some of your best friends, some of your family members. Some of you, like me, lost your spouse maybe. And the Lord told me the other day, suck it up, buttercup. Quit your crying. Everybody gets hurt. And he's so compassionate sometimes, you know. Jesus, can't you, get, can't you couch that a little more compassionately? He got tired of me crying over it, and so he just said, stop it. Your better part is already in heaven. You're already halfway there, Dave Reaver. Get over it. And I did. Well, to the best I could. And I found out what you cannot get over, you can still get through. Say it with me. What I cannot get over, I can still get through. These are the lessons I learned. That lesson is one. The other lesson is, husbands, kiss your wife goodnight every night. Tell her how much you love her. Tell her, man, you don't know when she could be taken away from you. And then the other lesson I learned was die first and make her pay all the bills. Lord, it's a hassle. <laughs> Woo! Don't get into that one. And so they got me to Japan, and I asked for a mirror, which was stupid of me. They were stupid to bring it. They held that little mirror over my face. I looked up, and I saw this was swollen, remember? This was skull charred skull with chunks of flesh you could break off. It's all charcoal. All over my body was charcoal. And I saw a broken promise. I'll be back without a scar. I didn't ever want her to see me. I couldn't take the risk that they could save my life. And I did the worst thing possible. That's why I said a while ago, if you're sitting up in this area, if I'm looking up there, I don't know why, but because I'm not one of those that can call people out on do that. But when I made that statement earlier, I was looking up in this area, and I want you to know if you're struggling with thoughts of self-destruction, don't. Don't go down that road. Second thought will kill you. Don't, don't think about it. If you dwell on it, you'll do it. Don't do it. And I decided I'd take my life. I had no gun, no knife. So I pulled the tube out. I laid my head back, folded my hands. I waited to die. I didn't want her to ever see me. I knew they would never open the casket. And uh, I got hungry. <laughs> I pulled the wrong tube. <laughs> I pulled out lunch. You can die that way, but it's going to take a while. You smell a pizza, you're saying, plug it in, plug it in. <laughs> so I lived there, but boy, the doctors were mad at me. They said, we're trying to save your life. You're trying to kill your life. So they ripped me a few new orifices I didn't have before that. And they put me on an airplane, and they said, you'll die on that airplane. They took my last will and testament. This was their punishment. Get rid of me. If I die on the airplane, they just leave me dead until they get there. They didn't have to process my dead body. That was exactly why they put me on that airplane. I fooled them. In case you had noticed, I lived. <laughs> they got me to uh, Big Air Force Base there in uh, San Antonio, Lackland. And they put me on a helicopter in a stretcher and put me in a helicopter, put, flew me over to Fort Sam Houston, Brook Army Medical Center, where all the, medical, all the medics for all the branches go through training there. And it's the most amazing burn hospital in the universe. And they took care of me. And they loved me and they healed me the best they could. And I'd like to close with two stories, but I'm going to reverse the chronology on it. Because I want the first story to be the closing story. So the second story is they, they put me in the ICU, which I didn't know what that meant until they gave me the robe that doesn't come together. It's the ICU robe. <laughs> That's when I figured out the true meaning of the army draft. 
And they put me in that room. There were 13 of us. We were all put in that room to die. We called it death row. They didn't want us dying on the main ward. It discouraged patients that had a chance. We had no chance. And in fact, you're looking at the 13th obituary that's never been written. Everyone died but me. And I, I can't hardly deal with that because they had just as much of passion to live as I did. But God chose to keep me alive. Probably because if I'd gone at that time, I would have gone straight to hell. I was so mad at the world. He said, I got to keep you around and get you straight, and then I'll get you right, bring you to heaven. So they let visitors come in. There was a guy next to me that was 100% third degree. He had no skin but no TBI, traumatic brain injury. He was burned in a flash fire. I was burned in a slow burn and an explosion. So of all of them, I lived. And this guy was, he looked like he was made of hamburger meat. He had no skin on his body. And his wife walked in. This guy's going to die. We're all going to die. She walks in, takes off her wedding ring and threw it on his bed. And she said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. I heard it and I saw it. My wife was, I couldn't see her. They wouldn't let us see the, because sometimes the guests would lose it in that room because they knew everybody's going to die and everybody's screaming in pain. It's, it's, it's literal hell on earth. Dante's inferno. And they wouldn't let, me, let us see our guests that came, but they let the guests see us through a one-way glass to prepare them to not faint when they saw us, which happened all the time. People walk in, look at us, and pass out. Brenda saw that woman do that. She wanted to scratch that girl's eye out. Boy, she was so mad at her. And then she got to my bed, and they kept telling her, that's your husband. Well, she got up and looked at me. She said, that's not Dave. She wasn't rejecting me. She was rejecting what she thought was somebody else. And the doc said, that's Dave. She said, no, it's not. I'm dying a thousand deaths. Oh, God, why, why couldn't I pull the right tube? My worst, my worst fears come upon me. He walked her to the head of the bed, and someone said the eyes are the windows of the soul. She looked into my good eye. I guess she recognized the furniture in this old burned house. <laughs> Something made her know without a doubt. She looked and said, this is Dave. And she bent down and kissed what was left of my face. She said, I just want you to know I really love you. and Welcome home, Davey. I said, baby, I'm sorry. I'm broken, I promise. I can never look good for you. She said, you never were good looking. <laughs> Y'all are cold. <laughs> we both had a good laugh, and I left that hospital suitcase in one hand, sweetheart in the other. I've been back for many a surgery, but never without hope. Uh, now I'd like to close with the first event that took place whenever they got me off that helicopter under a stretcher. They put me in a room called debridement. There's a tank called the Hubble tank. It looks like a gigantic stainless steel bathtub. And uh, you could have rubber dub dub three men in a tub. It's that big. They put you in that with saline water, and your body will uh, push the water displacement up to about here on your face. And then gently they splash that water on the charcoal that used to be your skin and muscle tissue. And they soften it, and then they take knives and scaffolds, and they start filleting you. And you literally go insane. Well, they give you payment. They don't make a pain medication. They could come close to taking that. If they gave you enough to take that pain away, it would kill you instantly. In fact, there's a story in yesterday's news of a man 
got mad at his girlfriend, threw gasoline on her, struck a match, set her on fire. She lived long enough to testify in court by video that he murdered her and then she died after that testimony. And they described, she tried to describe being burned, but there's just no words. There's just no words. And they can only do it for about 120 seconds. Two minutes and you go crazy. I reached up and even though my thumb was gone at that point, they made this later out of my hip. I don't suck my hip, I'll tell you that. <laughs> now that's funny too. I reached up with four fingers tangled in that girl's hair. There were six of them working on me. I flipped that girl in the tank and had her face in the water. I was trying to kill her. I thought she was trying to kill me. The pain was horrible. I held her face in that water. They had her out. My skin's in her hair. I looked up. I was so embarrassed. I, didn't, I couldn't find words. I, I couldn't speak. They said, I think he's had enough. Then I repeated finally what they said. I think he's had enough. Then I added in my native tongue, no mas, no mas. My first language was Spanish. When I was born, my mom almost died. She never did recover, and it cost her her life. I cost my mom her life. I was raised by a Mexican nanny. My first language was Spanish. I didn't speak English. I was six years old, went to school, and I had learned English, go to school, and then they told me I wasn't a Mexican, which blew my Hispanic mind. <laughs> I go to Vietnam, learned Vietnamese, and I got Vietnamese and Spanish mixed up, and they said, you're Pentecostal. <laughs> when I speak, God has to have a translator. <laughs> what do you say? By the way, I'm on TBN tonight, Trinity Broadcast Network, celebrating the 50 years that I've been with Trinity as one of their guests over a 50-year period of time. From the day they used to go to black by putting a card in front of the camera. That's how you used to go to black. Today, it's one of the largest networks in the world, worldwide. But I'm on today. We, we did the video before I went to Vietnam last week and two weeks ago. And uh, I, have, I don't know what they'll use of it, but it seemed to be a pretty good presentation where Jesus got all the credit because this story can't be told without Jesus. It can't be told without Christ. There's no story to tell without Jesus. I couldn't laugh. I couldn't be happy. I lose my wife and I find my way anyway because Jesus is the way. Not Brenda, I loved her, but she wasn't the way. Oh, man, I hope I'm making sense to you today. Don't live a day without Christ in your life. Don't give up on him. He never gives up on us. Just don't give up on him. Because the rest of the story concludes now. They put me back in this ICU. And on the way down, I, I'll take a minute to explain. I didn't in the first service because I was already running over time. They pushed me on this gurney. And I just got out of the tank where I tried to kill that girl. And the medic said, in the morning at 8.30, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to do this again. He just shouldn't. Hat Norton have said that. I looked up off that gurney helm. I said, not you or the entire army is big enough to put me back in that tank again. Now, doesn't that sound like a lot of bravado? The truth is, I was still master of my own destiny. I was a self-made man. I wanted to kill myself in Japan. I failed, but I could still kill myself. Would they put a dead man in that tank? There wasn't an army big enough. No one would put me in that tank as a dead man. You get my point, don't you? He said, then you'll die. I didn't want him telling me that. If I'm going to die, it's going to be at my hand, not his. And it made me even angrier. 
I said, well, I'm still my own boss. If I won't take my life, I will. As I said earlier, the problem of self-made man, he worships his creator. And I wasn't letting go and letting God do what God does best, take a broken man and put him back together. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take eat. Well, if he could be broken and recover from the grave, I was still alive. Why couldn't I recover? But I didn't want to believe that I could because it hurt so bad. They got me down and put me in my bed. Next morning, 8.30, I heard that gurney come had a wobbly wheel like a Walmart shopper cart. You could hear it. And that made me mad. I didn't want to hear that. And they rolled the thing up beside my bed, but they forgot to lock the wheels. When they swung me over, it separated, and the guys trying to catch the bed and hold on to me dropped me. And my feet went down between the bed, and bam, my feet hit. It jarred my mutilated body so bad it hurt, like somebody just beat me up with a ball bat. Man, it hurt. I let out a scream. I'm holding on to the head end, and it's slipping. I'm about to fall through the cracks of those beds. And the only way I know to describe it is this guy was probably six foot six, six foot seven. Solid muscle. When he moved, cannonballs popped up on his chest, shoulders, arms. Big guy. Bald-headed, black, and his name was Rosie. <laughs> Jesus knows I'm telling you the absolute truth. It was tattooed on his arm right there, Rosie, so he could look down and say, I'm Rosie. Because <laughs> that didn't sound like the description of the man I gave you, Rosie. With one arm under the back of my neck, I realized he's trying to catch me from the fall, and, and I stiffened my neck to give him leverage, and he picked me up. I was a featherweight to this giant. He turned, and I thought he'd put me on the gurney, but no gurney for Rosie. He carried me down that long, long corridor back to that debridement room we nicknamed Hell, and he lowered me into the Hubble tank we nicknamed the pit. And he put me in the pit of Hell, extracted those arms, folded those giant forklifts, backstepped against the wall. The rising sun that morning cast its golden hue through the window, Reflecting on his beautiful ebony skin were trails of fire, tears dripping. His lips were moving. Rosie was praying for me. Though I make my bed in hell, thou art there with me. Hope in the middle of the darkest moment of my life. The prayer of a man that showed up at the right time. About two minutes later, I'm grabbing for hair, and they'd already been down that road. They were back in office, and Rosie, come get him. He reached down in that filthy, miry mess and picked me up, and I looked up, and it was Rosie carrying me, no gurney. And as he carried me, he walked, and these are the words he said, and I'm going to try and walk a little bit better. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. Two things I never forget. Where did he find me as a big man when I only weighed 100 pounds? I'd lost everything I had. And the other was, how are you going to be fine whenever you're in death row? You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. He got me back lowered me into my air mattress, extracted those giant arms, 
And he turned around, and I looked up in the face of a man I'd never seen before. He said it again, you'll be fine, big man. You'll see, you'll be fine. And he did something I never let a man do. He kissed my forehead. He turned and walked away. If I ended the story right now, it's a great story. Intervention, romance. Good story. But the end is the best part. Fast forward 20 years, and I'm in a place called Redmond, Oregon. The United States Air Force called me in to celebrate the 4th of July with the Air National Guard. 20,000 people showed up on that runway that day. Hear me speak, and man, it was a great time. I get through, and this woman walks up out of the crowd. No big screen TV. She said, you're Dave Reaver? Yes, yes, ma'am. She said, Dave is your nickname. Your real name's David. And I'm thinking, well, it's not Bartholomew. Literally. I thought, she's setting me up. What is this? She said, that's your middle name. Whoa. Well, I just wait. No one knew that was my middle name. She said, your first name's Milton. I said, yes. Milton David Reaver. She said, yes. I said, yes, ma'am. Who are you? She said, I'm the nurse you pulled into the tank 20 years ago. I was embarrassed. Scar tissue can blush. I said, I don't think I ever apologized. She said, oh, no. I thought it was you. She said, but I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. (laughs) Oh, I blushed big time. Then I remembered Rosie. I said, ma'am, do you remember a guy named Rosie? If I had tapped her on the head with a two-by-four, she staggered, came out of a trance, it looked like. She said, I haven't thought of him in years. I said, I think of him every day. I can't find him. I'm looking for him. I want to thank him. I said, what's his real name? She said, all I remember was Rosie. He was tattooed. I said, that's the guy. Do you know where he is? She said, no. I said, do you know where he came from? Maybe he's there. She said, I don't know where he came from. I said, when did he come to Brook Army Medical Center, Burn Ward? She looked me straight in the eyes without a pause. When you did. I said, when did he leave? She said, when you left, you get it. My friends, which are mostly religious, tell me he was an angel. I don't know. Do angels have tattoos? <laughs> and all angels, don't they have to be white like me? You see, I don't know if he's an angel on assignment or a man on a mission, but what I do know is he was the right person at the right time in the right place with a drink of water. In my valley of sorrow. And he prayed for me when I couldn't pray for myself. He loved me when I hated myself enough to kill myself. He carried me while I couldn't go on my own. And he spoke words of encouragement till I believed him. Today, I was at the signing book, book thing to sign some books and, uh, after the first service. And a gentleman walked up and he said, you were the right thing for me today. I need to hear what you had to say. I said, well, good. You know, I appreciate that affirmation. And he said, no, it's bigger than that. He said, I, today I have to go visit a friend. I didn't know what to say. He's so broken. I didn't know what to say. I said, well, what are you going to say to him? I'm going to say to him, he said, you'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. See, I'm here today. 
hopefully to encourage you that if you don't know Jesus on a personal level, get to know him. He's so fun to have as a friend. He never leaves you. He'll never forsake you. He'll pick you up when you're down. He'll carry you where you wouldn't go on your own. He'll whisper words of encouragement and kiss you on the forehead. But I hope I can convince you to do that to someone else that's hurting today. Be a rosy to somebody. My heart is for my nation, for my warriors. First and foremost, I want to give them everything I've got left. They get my skin, they get my organs and my body. Whatever they need, they get. And whatever's left over goes to the grave. But I want you to see a little three-minute second video. You'll see what I do for my country today. Nathan Hale had but one life to give, and he regretted that. He said, I wish I had more than one life to give my country. He regretted that. I got to give my life, as it were, in Vietnam, and for all practical purposes, I lost everything I'd ever owned in my life that day, except my wife, my life, my love for God. Everything else was stripped away. But I got to give a second time on September 11, 2001, on 9-11, God called me to work with our troops again. Two weeks later, I got a call from Langley, and they said, would you come? I said, I'm on my way. From that, six tours to Iraq, two to Afghanistan, all the other countries, and they still call me all over the world, ministered our troops. They provide me wheelchairs so I can get there. I don't care. They said, whatever it takes, we'll get you there, Dave. I think that's cool. Because I made a commitment one day, sitting in an airplane, 21,000 feet, and what we call caskets, the military calls transfer cases, draped in beautiful flags, fill that belly of that cargo jet. I sat there looking at those one. Was the next Billy Graham to be, is his body in one of those caskets? What about Mother Teresa? Who's going to take her place one day? Was the nurse killed in Balad? Is she in one of those boxes? We don't know. We think we know the price of freedom by numbers. So many died for so many reasons. Uh -uh. You don't know what those so many who died would have, could have, and should have been. The cost of freedom is beyond our calculation. In this little video, we show you my feelings, show you what I built the ranches for them to come to, one in Colorado, one in Texas. Beautiful, beautiful ranches. Millions and millions of dollars contributed to me from Hobby Lobby, from American Airlines, a lot of different corporations said, we want to help you, Dave. But the biggest resource I've ever had is sitting in front of me, people who buy my products, helping they never pay to come. You'll see why. Because the most difficult thing I've ever asked, been asked to do for my country wasn't survive Vietnam. It's to bring home those that laid down their life in valor to be interred and then so often forgotten. And I can't let that happen. Hope this little video will speak to you in the love that I have for my country, trying to be a rosy to so many. In a little video, I call it the angel flight home. Would you please roll that?
flight Bravo zero 02. You are number one for landing. Welcome home. You're welcome to remain standing as we conclude in prayer. There's one thing I want you to know. That angel flight, there's another one coming. The ticket, your ticket with your name on it, has already been bought and paid for. The question is, did you get your boarding pass? Have you accepted the gift of God through Jesus, his son? He's your ticket. He's your ride home, buddy. In our ministry to our warriors throughout the military, we're known to have huge success in restoration of broken marriages. Thousands of troops have come through our program, but the ones that seem to get the best of our best is when those marriages that are going through divorce and separation are restored. And at the end of the program, for day after day after day of digging and healing and amazing intervention in their lives, they renew their vows. We're going to renew our vows in a quick prayer together, but I want you to do what I do. Return to your first love, they call it in the Bible. Let's renew our vows. But the reason I'm doing this is to make this as easy as possible. For some of you who would feel like you're singing solo in a choir, if you were asked to come forward and sing or promote this image of giving your heart to Christ for numbers' sake, we don't, I'm not interested in numbers. I'm interested in you. I want you to have an opportunity to make a confession of your life, your brokenness, your hurt, your healing. I want you to confess all the good, bad, and the ugly and make vows as we renew ours and welcome to the family of God in your new awakening. Amen. Let's do this together. Out loud, you don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to bury your eyes and close your head. <laughs> let's, let's pray this prayer together. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, thank you. You gave yourself for me. Then you gave yourself to me. You died for my sins. Then you arose from the dead to live in me. I receive you today. As my Lord and Savior, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I was born in that stuff. And I'm going to be free now because of you, Lord. You stepped in like Rosie. You gave me hope again. And I received that. And by faith, I'm born again. Right here, right now. And I'm not going to sin anymore. Oops. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to sin anymore. But if I do, but I won't, but if, I'm just saying, I won't, but if I did by accident, I have an advocate with the Father, my lawyer in heaven, my barrister himself, barrister means lawyer, 
Thank you, Jesus. I will never lose hope, and I'll follow you the rest of my life. Let's celebrate. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.